Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. At the beginning of our journey through the book of Acts, I made a statement. And I want to remind us of that now. Acts is not a history of what God's people went and did for him. I'm going to say that again. Acts is not a history of what God's people, the earliest Christians, went and did for God. Instead, Acts is a history of God at work through his people. It's a common misconception that the Gospels, or if we're looking at this author that we've been reading, Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it's easy to see that that is about Jesus. And the book of Acts, his part two, his sequel, if you will, is about the church. But I promise you this isn't the case. Acts is a history of God at work through his people. And I think this is an important distinction for a number, number of reasons. First of all, God has always been on mission. And we are privileged to be invited to join him in what he has always been doing. God is the power behind the mission. And whether we utilize our spiritual gifts or our natural talents or our developed skills or our experience or our passions while engaged in mission, all of it is from the Lord and all of it is made effective by the Lord in mission. God is the one who is due all glory for the victories in the mission. Whether or not he wins these victories through us, his human agents. To put this very, very practically for us as we consider our engagement with the mission in our context, think of it perhaps this way. God has entrusted us with an important mission to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus. He has thoroughly equipped us for this task. And as we step out in obedience, we will be amazed at how he uses us, ordinary people, to transform lives and to transform eternities. And whenever we celebrate a victory, someone who commits their life to the Lord, or someone who comes back to the Lord after being a long way off, we give all honor and praise to the only one who made this possible, the Lord. Now, in the previous weeks, we've seen God's sovereignty in the events of the early church as we've journeyed through the book of Acts thus far. We've seen him empower the early believers at Pentecost, orchestrating not only their empowerment by the Spirit, but the proclamation of the gospel in numerous languages and dialects so that the travelers to Jerusalem for that holiday, for that festival, were able to hear in their own languages. Let's call it what it was, a divine miracle by which God introduced thousands to the gospel. We saw God deliver the apostles from the Jewish religious leaders. He delivered them even from jail. He delivered them from their verdict so that they could continue the important work that they had been called to. We have so far in our journey through Acts watched as God aided the early church in navigating conflict and in raising up new leaders. And we have even seen God work through difficult situations. 
what difficult situations. Just recently, we've read of persecution that had broken out against the Christians in Jerusalem. Men and women were being dragged from their homes and put into prison. The vast majority of the Christians had to flee from Jerusalem for their own safety, leaving behind homes and businesses and family and friends and the only lives that many of them had ever known. And even in these hardships that the early church faced, God demonstrated his sovereignty. How? By moving the gospel forward, as it was always intended to do. It was now moving along the trajectory that Jesus had commanded from Jerusalem to all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Because everywhere that these early Christians fled to, they brought the gospel with them. Everyone they met in every town they passed through or settled in, they proclaimed the gospel. And one of the Christians that Luke has provided us details about is a man by the name of Philip. We've seen Philip already a couple times. Philip was a Hellenistic Jew who had heard the gospel and surrendered his life to Jesus. Philip was of such noble character that the early church selected him to be among the leaders who would tend to the daily food distribution for the widows in the community. And when persecution broke out, Philip was one of those that was forced to flee Jerusalem. And as he went, he was faithful to proclaim the gospel all along the way. And we've already seen that God used him mightily in a land that was hostile to the Jewish people, Samaria. Philip preached the gospel, and Philip demonstrated the truth of the gospel, and a large number of the Samaritans committed their lives to Jesus Christ. Again, this is not to say that Philip went and did something for God, but God had invited Philip to join him in the mission. God equipped and empowered Philip for the mission, and God is due all glory for the victories we read about in Samaria. And today we get to read about another instance in which the Lord used Philip on mission. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 8. And we are going to begin in verse 26 today. Acts 8, starting in verse 26. And here's what the text says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he set out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who could speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Whose mission is it? God's. You know, on one level, that ought to seem obvious to us. However, on another level, we tend to have, we have this tendency to see things that we do for God as our mission. I remember early on in my walk with the Lord, I had the opportunity to bring my uncle, who doesn't know Jesus, to church with me. Now, you'd think that this was a great thing, right? How many people have you invited to church, and they've said no, and they've said no, and they've said no, and when one says yes, you get excited about it. So this should have been a great opportunity. But I have to tell you, I spent the entire worship service wondering, what did my uncle think about that? Oh, no, I wish the pastor hadn't said that. Should I lean over and explain what was just said? Could that worship song have been misinterpreted? Oh no, the weird lady is coming over to talk to us. You know what was missing throughout that entire experience? Trust. Trust that the mission belongs to the Lord. That he works through all his people. And that the responsibility for the success of the mission does not rest with me. I have a role to play, sure. But the mission is not mine. The mission belongs to the Lord. I've seen churches that refused to use their buildings for vital ministry because they were afraid other people would mess up their building. I've seen brothers and sisters in Christ take deep pride in the many ways they have served the Lord. And conversely, I've seen Christians walk further and further away from God because they feel guilty for not doing enough. Last week, Pastor Mike was with us, and he mentioned that many Christians feel like their service earns God's love. Friends, the truth of the matter is that the mission belongs to the Lord, not to us, not to be abused for our purposes. It is his. But thank God he lets us be a part of it. So what do we see in our passage today? It'd be easy to say we see Philip sharing the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch. But I want you to recall some key elements we've seen in our text thus far. Here's verse 26, Acts 8, 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This whole scene, this whole event, this whole moment, this whole opportunity began as God sent an angel to Philip to direct him where to go. A few verses later, in verse 29, we see the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so now we've had an angel participate, and now the very Holy Spirit of God told Philip who to engage with about the gospel. A few verses later, verse 39, at the conclusion of our, of our uh, passage here today, it says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. 
So in other words, the Holy Spirit confirmed the mission was done, the mission was over, and took Philip to where he was needed next. Do we sense a theme here? From beginning and middle and end, who is orchestrating these events that we read about? God. I believe a few important observations are in order based on our text here today. First, for those who are awaiting instructions from angels or a, a beam-me-up Scotty moment, remember that God doesn't always work exactly in the same ways that we see here. He can, but he doesn't always. He doesn't always throughout the Bible. He doesn't even always throughout the book of Acts here, right? In fact, in our last passage, we saw Philip going about proclaiming the gospel without any specific direction from the Lord. The Great Commission was enough of instruction. He already had the marching order, right? Make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? Acts 1, 8. We already have marching orders. So did Philip. He didn't have to wait for a specific prompting of God to go and proclaim the gospel and make disciples. He already had standing orders. In my 20-something years as a Christian, I have heard countless, innumerable brothers and sisters in Christ suggest that they don't share the gospel unless they sense God's prompting them to do it. This is not a biblical course of action, my friends. The marching orders are clear. We're always to preach the gospel. We're always to tell the lost that Jesus died to fix the problem that they caused and they can't fix on their own. We're always to tell the perishing that out of his great love and grace, God sent his son to die as an atonement for sin, and God raised him from the dead to secure our standing before him. We are always to urge people to believe and to surrender to the lordship of Christ. Now, God may prompt you in an unavoidable way, clear as day, or he may have arranged an opportunity for you to have coffee with your friend or to talk to your neighbor on their front lawn or to call your lost relative on the phone. And in any and all circumstances, we need to remember that the mission belongs to the Lord, to be thankful that he's invited us to join him and trust that he's equipped us for the task, and then we need to step out in obedience. And we'll remember to give him praise for the victory. My second observation from our passage today is that God has been at work in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch long before Philip showed up on the scene. Keep in mind some of these things about the man we're reading about. This is not a Jewish man. He is a rich man. He's an important person in the service of an even richer and more important person. But what do we see? He's on his way back from Jerusalem, where he went to worship the one true God. He's not only familiar with the scriptures, but he even has a copy of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now, they may, that may not seem impressive to you, but let me tell you, there was no Barnes & Noble. There was no Amazon.com. There was no printing press. These scrolls were copied by hand. They were expensive. They cost a lot of money. And yet this man not only had a copy, but was reading Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the suffering servant who would die as a guilt offering for the people. And just in case you got the wild idea that all of this was just some happy coincidence, 
When you couple those facts with God's guiding Philip to speak to this man, it is clear. God is at work. You know, several years ago, while my family and I were living in Port St. Lucie, I led a small group at our church. And one of the members of my small group came to me one day and mentioned that he'd been sharing the gospel with a friend. But his friend still had so many questions, and my, and my small group participant just couldn't answer them. And so he felt that he was at an impasse and he needed a little help. So he asked me if I'd come and talk with his friend, which of course I agreed to do. And so I thought about, in the days leading up to this meeting, I planned everything out, right? I mapped out a course of action. I, th I memorized several passages of scripture that I might have to have at ready, you know, ready to go. I anticipated some of the questions he might ask and some objections that he might raise. And when we sat down, I began according to the plan I'd put together. And about 30 seconds into my prepared agenda, he stopped me and he said, um, I'm ready. I just want to know how to become a Christian. And I was stunned. That was not the picture that I had received from his friend. And his friend was equally stunned when he found out what happened. Somewhere between his friend sharing the gospel with him and me coming to talk with him, the Holy Spirit had been working in his heart and mind, helping him to make the connections and the things that he had already heard through his friend or already read in the Bible, convicting his own heart in regards to sin and bringing him to the conclusion that he needed to be made right with God through Jesus. So what did I end up doing? Just showing up and helping him walk across the threshold. God did the work. I think somehow, some way, we lose sight of the fact that God is always at work, long before we get there. He's at work while we're sharing the gospel, and he's at work long after we leave any given conversation at any time. Remember, the mission belongs to him. We just get the privilege of being a part of what he's doing. And so for the Ethiopian eunuch in our passage, he likely learned about God through Jewish people in his region. He likely became a God-fearer, a non-Jewish person who worships the God of Israel. And this would be why he traveled to Jerusalem to worship and why he would have a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And all of these steps might have seemed quite natural. Yet behind all of it is a God who is on mission, who enabled him to encounter a Jewish person to bring him to the place of recognizing the one true God and who orchestrated him meeting a Christian on the road home from Jerusalem so that he might hear and respond to the gospel. What an amazing God we serve. And my third and final observation is this. We need to know how to lead people to God in Jesus Christ. Friends, I could tell you all day, I could tell you till I'm blue in the face, go and proclaim the gospel, go and tell people about Jesus, but guess what? If you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to lead somebody to faith in Christ, then you're not going to be very effective at that task, now are you? And so we could take a page out of Philip's book here. Philip was able to take the Ethiopian man from where he was to where he needed to be. He took him from where he was to where he needed to go. Friends, if someone says to you, I don't know how the world got so bad, guess what? That's your starting point. 
whether you ask probing questions like, well, how do you think it should be? Why do you believe that? Or if you go right for the prize and say, I could tell you how the world got this bad, and then bring up the problem of sin and God's solution to that problem. Friends, if someone asks you, how could you believe in a God that would allow such things to go on in the world? Well, you take the time to explain free will and sin and the fact that one day all evil will be done away with for good and justice will reign because we do serve a good God. And then you tell them the provision that God made for evil uh, and you give them the opportunity to respond. Friends, if, you're, if you have a friend whose health is failing and they don't know what to anticipate on the other side, you tell them that you do know and you tell them that they could have hope, that they could be in the presence of God when they pass over, if only they would respond to the grace that he offers them right now. And if you just happen to pass an Ethiopian man in a chariot reading Isaiah 53 aloud, well, guess what? You ask him if he understands what he's reading, and you offer to explain it to him, just like Philip did. Friends, we need to be able to take people from where they are and then lead them where they need to go. And what a great passage the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. I hope you didn't miss it. I hope you heard those few verses that were cited in Acts and you knew exactly where it was in the Bible. What an important and powerful passage. He was reading from Isaiah 53, and I want to read to you Isaiah 53, the first, uh, verses 1 through 12. Here's what it says. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered 
with the transgressors. Friends, this is not a New Testament passage. This is an Old Testament promise of the one who would come, the one who did come, Jesus Christ. The Ethiopian man's question was this, was the prophet referring to himself or someone else? He was referring to Jesus, the one who would lay down his life as a guilt offering, making atonement for the sin of the people, receiving on himself the weight of God's wrath so that others might have life. God predicted it. God brought it to bear, and God owns the mission of reconciling lost people to himself. We are privileged to be a part of what God is doing. And friends, I hope that we will be found obedient in living out that mission.